you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Sorry, I know you, it took me a while just to get out of all the other stuff that I had looking, that I was looking at this morning and get to where I could give this my full attention. All right, good. (laughs) Okay. So what's our background here? That looks like... It is Galaxy's Edge from... It's a concept drawing, I believe. Okay. Down Look in at the, Disney. I see it below right there. I think this is the actual Machu Picchu, but close yeah. enough that I can see where people get their inspiration from. So, yeah, okay. nice. No, so we're... Clean up my shirt. There we go. Oh, <laughs> uh, my! I'm not arguing. I'm just explaining why I'm right. Why I'm right. Exactly. I think I need to get that as a tattoo, not as a shirt, because it might be a permanent thing for me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I always used to wear it just to pick on the rest of my family. There you go. <laughs> and they were very much so, there goes Stephen again. I'm just <laughs> telling you. Yeah, there he goes with those facts and knowledge again. How rude of him to yeah. actually know what he's talking about. Yeah, That's... some people really don't like that, but whatever. <laughs> Hey, I got a trivia before we get talking about everything else. Yes. This should be an easy one for a Jeopardy champion. Okay, here's hoping. Who was the director of Nightmare Before Christmas? Tim Burton, right? Nope. He was the producer. Wow, I so much associate that with him. Yeah, it was a man named Henry Selleck. Wow. Has he done anything else that I recognize from the stop action world and stuff like that? I'm not sure. I didn't look it all up. I heard it on something on, I think, 105.7 over the weekend. They do five random facts. Got it. Okay. I heard it and had to look it up. And he was. Burton was just the director. The the producer. The producer. Yeah. So it was because always, almost always when you see it listed, it often says Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. And so that's often... Not the producer or the owner, if you will. It's the director. So that's right. kind of why. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Henry Selleck also did James and the Giant Peach, another stop motion okay. anime. Okay. Coraline, another Tim Burton stop motion. Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Uh, I associate yeah. that with Neil Gaiman even yeah. more than Burton because it's his work. Okay. And then uh, the new Netflix film, Wendell and Wild. Don't know those. Okay. No, but yeah. Wendell might be one of those like, a kid gone wrong kind of he's evil but you don't want to admit it a thing i'm not sure about that I, that's the that's what i associate in my head with it could be that it's like a, an after school movie and it's all about wonderful wendell so right. sorry if i've yeah. defamed you wendell but you okay. take it in context with the other stuff he's directed and that's the first yeah agreed same thing that's in right. my head, so yeah that's again not to get immediately sidetracked but <laughs> it's kind of cool that horror movies and horror directors and so forth are not now immediately relegated only to horror just like it used to happen for science fiction or for porn for that matter then now since sam raimi came over and did spider-man there's i guess there really is some craft some smarts that goes with being a good director no matter the genre and now like we just talked about this the guy who did midsummer um that you just saw yeah uh, ari aster there we go exactly didn't he just do one with jake joaquin phoenix that you like yes bo is afraid bo is afraid exactly that and still unsettling because it's about mental illness and so forth but it's not meant to be a horror movie a shocker like that it's more meant to be this is reality this is how you have to learn to deal with people that are differently abled you know what i mean that that we're differently that's funny it's unfashionable to talk about disabled nowadays but i just watched still with michael j fox and oh i want to see that guy and he's everybody wants to say how courageous how brave but very much how he presents it is this is just my life this is how it happens you know what it's not brave to just say i'm going to keep on living i'm going to do the best with what hand i've been dealt it's a very unfortunate hand because he was energetic and agile and so forth and then to get parkinson's which really robs that it robs your muscular coordination and your ability to be still and but he's 
the way he is courageous is that he just talks about it. He still has an incredible sense of humor about it. I could see, I know people that are very much, wow, I'm just down in the dumps over. I got a diagnosis. My life is over, et cetera, et cetera. And it really is not easy to deal with this kind of stuff. And yet they show sessions with his, his therapy guy that's like teaching him how to walk where he won't injure himself. Part of what happens is it's not a constant thing. It comes on you and all of a sudden your muscle locks up. And then if you're in the middle of a step, you can easily catch a toe on something, go down and you don't, you're not coordinated enough now to catch yourself. So he talks about, yeah, I broke a whole bunch of bones in my face and that kind of stuff when you fall hard. And yet whatever that spark that determination of make as good a life as you can, be good to your wife, appreciate your wife who's been in sickness and in health with you through all of this yeah, stuff. Absolutely. It's a very heartening movie. What's her name? Tracy, so if you get a chance to see it. Tra- Tracy Pointer. Something. Yeah, it was who on Family Ties, who yeah. we first co-acted with, and they fell for each other. And so they he's I think that he got it when he was in his late 20s. And it wasn't, they got married before it started to evidence itself. But she's been around for not only the first time that the pinky wouldn't obey right. him. On one of one of the movies. Exactly. All the degenerative stuff. And he, he talked about the movies he made and how he hit it and going through spins. And I'm not, it's funny. It's not a matter of spoilers, but really is a lot of this is the record of how he was able to, because he's willful and an actor and so forth, do things like if you're having a problem with your left hand, then make sure that when you're in scenes, always have something in your left hand, like clutching a briefcase or holding onto a newspaper or something that's with your character but don't have a coffee mug where it shaking would be quite apparent and he for i think seven or nine years hollywood did not know that he was progressing through this difficult disease and when he finally came out it was a surprise to everybody including me but he had made big tv series and stuff like that i don't know man it's sobering because one of the things of course you get is there but for the grace of god go i I'm trying not to be complaining about, oh, no, my plantar fasciitis. But I don't know, Russ Bakke, one of my friends in Mensa, got it. And it absolutely took his life off track. You know what I mean? He got it so severely that he often had to check into the hospital. And it's one of those degenerative diseases that doesn't just affect your muscle control for, hey, I can't hold a pen anymore. You don't breathe anymore correctly. Your heart doesn't do things correctly. It really affects all kinds of skeletal muscular and nervous system type things and i just it must be so weird to have been a capable person and then i can't feed myself i can't oh boy oh boy i feel pretty lucky i've been healthy oh yes i am displaying some health issues that are mostly genetic inherited from my father which I was basically told long ago that was going to happen. The best I could do is stave it off and limit the impact it would have. But still, even now, I was with some family and I pulled up my laptop. I set it on a little coffee table. I didn't bend over. I just sat down on the floor on my, folded my knees under me and sat on the floor. And they're like, how the hell can you do that? Are you going to be able to get up? I'm like, yeah, why? I couldn't ever do that. And they're like 15 years younger than me. And when Uh, I had all my stepkids... We were at camping once and we did the stupid, all right, last one back to camp has to wash dishes type thing. So everybody (laughs) took off. You know who won out of eight, eight kids at the time? The 50 year old (laughs) beat them all back to camp. And in fact, the last little bit, I turned around and was running backwards. I'm like, what the heck are you wrong with you people? (laughs) Exactly. You're letting the old guy beat you. (laughs) (laughs) And this actually, I've always loved Michael J. Fox and I've kept up with the Parkinson's, you know, been like, thank God I haven't gotten that. I don't wish it upon anybody. But that said, my daughter just got diagnosed with Enler-Danlos disease syndrome, something like it it is new to me. I'm still trying to figure it out. Colin's going to go get tested for the same thing. And so we've been trying to find out more about it. It's not. I don't know all the ramifications and stuff yet, but what it is, it's a bone and joint problem. And the symptoms we were looking at, Collins, oh yeah, that's, I've had that, I've had that, but sore, achy bones, joints, and it progresses to the point where it, it could be degenerative and stuff. And so we're looking at it because it's genetic. So it's nothing they ate, nothing they did, nothing they smoked. It's not lifted in any way. Yeah. Now, if they had been eating, living on a desert island, eating just coconuts and fruit and running five miles around the island every single day, 
it might not have been displayed <clears throat> until a little later, but yeah. they were still, even when younger, we see now looking back that they were displaying issues with it. So okay. we're trying to find out more about that. It's not going to stop their life. I'm concerned that how it is going to affect them and what we can do to help out as much as possible. It. What I always hope for is that, like you said, it might be a condition that they can't get rid of, but they can. I had a friend that had MS and she had good and bad days, but she could make the bad days less bad and stave them off in terms of time and duration by eating healthier, doing certain exercises. You know what I mean? That's it. There's always ways that you can incrementally affect it. And honestly, that's how it is for every lifestyle disease. It isn't even that you have a condition that you have to get better about. If we stopped eating the classic Western diet of yeah. French fries and crap, we wouldn't have an obesity epidemic. We wouldn't have so many things that are self-inflicted, smoking, drinking, things that are really like poisonous and evil. So whenever you read books about the blue zones around the world, it sure seems that, wow, very elemental things that you were just saying, eat healthy, stay active. You know what I mean? Have friends, be in a community. That kind of stuff is so basic. And yet how many people either disregarded or discarded entirely because live fast, die young, leave a beautiful corpse. They've got other addictions. Some people, the taste of alcohol is just wonderful. I thank God that I'm not one of them because my taste tends towards diet Dr. Pepper. You know what I mean? But I don't know there that all of those things about it doesn't really take miraculous. Here's the pill that's going to cure all your ills. It's more, man, just don't go to McDonald's every day. Don't. There are certain things you can do that I can do that are helping my conditions. And every time that Colleen and I get to the top of a mountain, and we've been doing it, it's like 40, 50, 60, it feels really good to be, huh, still got it. I was able to get to the top of chimney tops. And it might be that I'm slowing down a little bit and that the next day I have a little bit of, oh, I really like that hot tub. That kind of eased the aches. But we're not <laughs> incapable yet. And we don't right. intend to get that way. And it, other people don't seem to have that as a desire. They don't really care about ever hiking. They're, they care about being able to, be, to go up and downstairs in their house or whatever else it might be. But somehow that's really important to me that I can be on my feet for an unlimited amount of time and not just the act of walking erect, such a human being thing that that hurts me. I just, I can't face it. I can't do that to myself. So. The thing I see, and I know this is preachy, I get it. And yeah. I can't say that I've lived a super healthy life with everything. I, I do better than a lot. I try to, and sometimes I just want a bowl of ice cream, but that's a right. known choice. But I, the people that bother me are the ones that say, I am trying, I'm eating health. What do you mean you're eating health? We had this prepared meal. I'm like, yeah, you know how much sodium is in there and how many calories that is? Yeah, but it's healthy. People think healthy is just something that's not junk food. And that's not always true. Boy, is that a way to put it? You know what I mean? Or you start off with healthy. Hey, I love broccoli. And then you lather it with cheese sauce. Right. It's, you know that it's not, broccoli isn't magic. It's not the antidote to all the cream that you're putting on it and yes. stuff like that. And, and oh, I would exercise, but I just can't. I just, I, it hurts too much. Yeah, that's because you haven't been exercising. Right. Just, and we as Americans, I'll just get a pill. And I've, I know I talked to somebody about this, that I had lost a couple pounds and I was working out a little bit and looking at the healthy. I'm like, wow, you've lost some weight. And I'm like, yeah, what'd you do? Oh, the doctor has these new pills that you just take them and within a week, you've lost 20 pounds. Oh my God, what's it called? And they're like, I'm like, why would you believe that? Why do you believe that? But not the what the real thing is. I didn't exercise. Exactly. I said, yeah, I, I track when I'm eating better stuff. And I've been exercising, walking, jogging, other exercises every day. And I right. lost the weight. Oh, and they like didn't want to pay attention to that. It's like, why yeah. is that our thinking? Yeah. And let me tell you, okay, I'm, go I'm going to preach a little bit more. So <laughs> people can say, no, you can't do it. That's too difficult. It's just, and that's a complete lie. I spent the weekend, and we can talk about that too later, but I spent the weekend with an author friend, Jay Thorne. And this man, in the last five, six years, he had led a uh, frat boy kind of life, okay. a lot of drinking. He was in a band. He was a little overweight, not obese, but a little bit more than he should or whatever. And he developed gout. And he oh, went to the doctor okay. and they said, oh, yeah, we can take care of this. We'll give you this medicine. And Jay's like, great. How long do I have to take that? Oh, for the rest of your life. He's like, what? 
like, well, yeah, the symptoms don't go away. You still have it. And he's like, yeah, I don't like that. So he <laughs> changed his life completely. He eats healthier than anybody I know. He eats healthier than almost any doctor I know. He wow. really cut out the bad stuff, eats the good stuff. He cut down the amount he eats. He gave up the sugar, the carbs, and he runs and he exercises. And he's six foot, six, two, and he must weigh 150 pounds. And wow. the okay. gout symptoms are completely gone and he takes no medicine. I'll tell you that it's the testimonials are there. There really are people that have done that same kind of almost, wow, that's such a drastic alteration. It's that time I used to spend like eating too much and playing video games and sitting on the couch watching TV. If you transform that time into yeah. the right choices and the right activities, I'm hardly a poster child for it, but I want to be whenever Colleen and I go for our walks and stuff like that. And we, you need that reinforcement of this really feels good. The air smells clean out here. I need an air bath in this wonderful forest. I need to not be sitting on my butt. There's proof further and further that a sedentary lifestyle is as bad as any number of other, like smoking, really evil yeah. things. And so some people, I don't know how this is, and there's a bracketology system in people's heads where they want a yes or no. It's often, um, there's a term for it, right? The uh, That they don't get percentages and increments and everything else they want to make i'm all in or i'm not i'm like maybe it's called like bipolar thinking but it's not exactly that but like reasoning always has to be yes no wrong true false instead of being if you want to hedge your bets do the thing that's got a 70 percent chance of being correct instead of a 30 percent and they think automatically that's too much work how do you figure that out it's because that math that you were determined not to learn you can learn enough to be able to say out of 10 things, what's, is, is it seven or is it three? You don't have to be like, Mr. I can now do the calculations and all of a sudden I have to do calculus. It's just so easy to be in every way, hedge your bets in every way, make a slightly better choice. And that incremental advance advances, it has incredible power over the course of time. But instead, people want the pill. They want the silver bullet. There's all kind of folk wisdom that I just want the one thing that'll make it all better. And it's unfortunately, there isn't one thing that life is not like that. Life is messy. Life is complex and has a hundred things going on all the time. You don't even have to be excellent. You just have to carve away the 10 worst things you're doing and you'll see improvement. And it's not Again, even it's not easy. It's a, a massive so overnight easy. change. And that's our way of thinking quite often. I've been, oh, January, oh, wait, January 1st resolutions. And I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. And for that first three days of January, man, you're eating salads. You're getting to the gym. And then, oh, now it's, I don't feel like getting up. Now it's too hard. Pretty soon it's March. <laughs> and yeah, maybe I'll do that again. And then right. I guess I better wait till next January for resolutions, just walk a, for five minutes. You don't have to walk for five miles or run for five miles on this day, just five minutes and you're done. Move on. You exactly. know, I, if you're going my, to the mall or a restaurant, park three lanes away and walk to it instead of cruising around, trying to find the closest possible yes. parking spot. You know what I mean? My Basic kids, stuff like that. That's right. I, I would make them walk up the steps, three or four flights instead of the elevator. And they just hated that. <laughs> Jason, I'll tell you, he thought that was absolute torture. Why are you making us walk the steps? The elevator's right there. I'm like, right. you know, it, it, it's it, someday you'll say, wow, maybe I should have done that. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, as always, to bring it back to geekery, there's all kinds of people that, that geeks are often, if you will, stereotypically, if they spend all their time on the computer, if they spend all their time reading, they also know how to do a spreadsheet. And any number of people, websites all based on this, they're like, I made a spreadsheet of, I was tracking what I was eating, calories in, calories out, I was tracking my activity. And so I know to the point one, what my calories in and what my calories expended are. And then I could see that turns into weight loss. And once you see that little chart going down, you're like, I like that pattern. I like that chart. Let's keep that going. And you can actually see where you're plateauing and you're like, how long is this plateau going to last? That for whatever reason, my body is now fighting it. Body goes into survival mode right. if you lose weight too quickly sometimes. And so it, it just looking at data, there, there was a whole, now it's dated, maybe 20, 15 years ago, there was a whole big movement about everybody collecting as much personal data about themselves as they could, because it led to lifestyle improvement when you saw how am I saving my money? How am I watching my calories? You know what I mean? What are the good things that I'm doing? And they, 
to very much geek it up to gamify things. There's, I don't know about in particular, there's a number of different now kind of like app-based weight loss things. Some right. of them are your mind get right and be able to think of the choices that you're making in some. Others really are just, hey, we're going to give you a, a gold star if you able, are able to make it, you know, that you don't eat, you're going to eat within 12 hours from seven to seven every day. And you get points for doing the right thing. And you, they just make it into a game where it's amazing from little kids on up getting things put onto the refrigerator <laughs> because they, they ate every day and they brushed their teeth and they took a bath and whatever else it might be. People respond to that, even if you're a crusty old adult, that you just see how it's helping you, see the pattern, and like you get a little gold star. Yeah. So I don't always use that enough on myself for as much as every time I play Civilization, I'm aware of, that's why you build your infrastructure, because you improve your land and you make it so you have roads and you can get resources to where you need them. And overall, it might not be that every single battle with every single other opponent that you win but in the overall, it's a crushingly good way to, you're going to win. You're going to win in the end. It's just a question of, are you going to win in 1700 versus 1750 versus 1800? If you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Then it's based on what the terrain is or what resources you find earlier or something like that. And again, tell me that isn't life. You know what I mean? Do the best you can where you are with what you got. You know what I mean? Make yourself as happy as you can while doing it. And the gamifying of, dungeon crawls and i'm continually upping my equipment i'm upping my stats i'm becoming a stronger faster smarter etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's a great feeling to be able to say i it, all these experiences really did good by me they added to my capabilities now i i if i would have faced that dragon at level one i would have been crushed like the pud that i was and instead now i'm a level hundred Strack guy with plus five everything, and I'm dating myself with old D and D terms. Now it, it's so much more complex. Now it has: Do I have the legendary uh, armor or do I have the immortal armor, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So, I think that's if you were to start. Let me think how to say this. I'm in this place of I want to do things for me and for my friends, and kind of put a lot of the crappy world aside. I don't want to go to the bars. I don't want to go to the wrong situations and some part of that is not only not going to those but creating those better situations for yourself and your friends so if i was to like side quest here a cool gaming place and you've talked about the green dragon is closed it couldn't make it through covid but one of the things that would have been cool is not on friday and saturday when it's hot and heavy with the gaming but how about tuesday night be hey geeks let's lose some weight together let's put 50 bucks in a pot and after eight weeks, 12 weeks. So there's a little skin in the game and here's how we're all going to do it. And everybody get your spreadsheets out. Everybody's got a phone or a laptop. And some of that, I know I'm jumping around, but it really all has the same thread. Colleen and I did cool salon for, called Penny University for five years in Mensa, where we discussed the big issues of the day from every aspect that we could think of. I put a whole bunch of different questions that I had thought of in a bowl and we pull them out randomly. And then the group would have a nice discussion. And a lot of it was not only discussing the issue, it was how to discuss it. What do you know and how do you know it? Like, how do you get to facts? How do you get to more than opinion, to learned opinion and stuff like that? And after we had done just the good discussion groups, which sometimes were very useful, something about it was also, what's going to spur us to action here? Now we should do like nickel workshops. Now we should do, shouldn't everybody know how to change a tire fix a leaky faucet, defragment their drives back when that mattered. You know what I mean? We, we, I had all kinds of ideas as to there's all kinds of people that they don't know how to do it. And they're embarrassed that they don't know by age 40. So they never learn. And it really would be worth saying something as basic as, so how do you pick which, which cleaning products you use? You know what I mean? We know that like bleach and ammonia and so forth, but if everything is hype, how do you get to cutting through the idiocy of it Good and point. say, this is the one that really is best against grease or and for, for personal hair care. For like, I, to me, I always have problems with that. <laughs> exactly. Let's see. For the printing and printing that I do every day for this magnificent <laughs> mane of mine, I want to make sure I have only the good stuff. But I think that, in fact, now nowadays, as we both speak often, almost always at the end of my talks, it's not, I used to be, so what have we learned? And that was 
my big close, if you will. Let's do a summary. And nowadays, it's and so now that I've learned this, what am I going to do with it? And it's a call to action. It's a, how do I take this and make my life better, make the world better, be a happier person, whatever else it might be. It's, it's actionable. You know what I mean? And so that, what makes things actionable is data. So much of what we want to do as geeks is really know, really not just have a feel for it. I'm feeling a little bit better, but I was 180 pounds and now I'm 170, or I really can walk faster than I used to. I can lift more. There's classic ways of knowing, are you a more capable human right. being? If I've been getting glasses every year and my vision was worsening, and then I did things that are supposed to be better for your vision. And then I go the next time for an eye exam and say, nope, same prescription. Isn't that kind of a triumph? You know what I mean? Maybe it didn't necessarily make it better, but to arrest a downward decline is really a good thing if you were worried yep. about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, I <laughs> it, if I don't have a family to do this with and experiment with, it's just Colleen and I, but we're both game for what are the things that each of us wants to do for eating healthier, for taking more walks, that kind of stuff, for getting our teeth better. You know what I mean? I Colleen has never had a cavity. And it really matters to her that she'd never have a cavity. Now you've made it this far. If she was to go in and the doctor would say, hey, what's this here? It would be a traumatic event for her. You know what I mean? Whereas I got, wow, a sea of silver in there. I got the amalgam mouth. <laughs> so now it's like just maintaining what you have and having it not deteriorate. It, it's not only always improvement. It's just like, how long can I go? I'm 63. I don't want to be Mr. Gums when I'm 83. I want to like still be eating right. corn on my cob. You know what I mean? Right. I want to be able to do that crisp apple that it tastes so good when you bite it off. I want to be able to do that. I don't without want to your teeth going with the apple. With the apple, like a cartoon. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. I know we digress a little bit, but not really. That's all prime geekery stuff. There really are all kinds of I love reading the good books where the doctor talks about. Here's how we know this is true, because the studies say it is, et cetera, et cetera. When you read a book that just purports to be about health, but it's all anecdotal and kind of woo-woo, it really, oh no, this probably sold 100,000 copies. And now every time I talk about this, people are going to say, but Dr. Oz says this. So unfortunately, he's got that doctor in front of his name, but man, some of the stuff he's put out there is not the best for you. Really, <laughs> the, up your game in terms of being able to distinguish between and right. reality. And a lot of our peers that would listen to something geekery, nerdery type related yeah. lead very, usually lead very sedentary lives and end up having health problems. And a lot of it, as we've been finding, a lot of it could be avoided. When I get a good bit of exercising and check my glucose numbers, they're usually lower just from the fact of exercising, nothing else. Yeah. And I've determined that by checking after I eat in the morning with and without exercise and later in the day and comparing numbers. It's all the data. <laughs> Absolutely. And just to be able to compare like apples to apples that you, it's not just, there's not one number that describes it, but you can see the situ situation, the circumstance that surrounds it and be able to see, yes, everything else being equal, Cedarus paribus, this really had an impact. And so I should do more of this good thing. Yeah. I can mix that into every other situation and it will be an incrementally better thing. In fact, this is a sad thing to say because nowadays I, I'm, some people really fight for fat acceptance. And I get that there really are people that they have an incredibly difficult time of it. And I, I want appearance to not matter. I don't fat shame anybody. I don't want to be fat shamed myself because I'm a big guy. But what I do know is that it's not only a matter of appearance, it's a matter of capability, a matter of health. And that I, I so much wish for the people that have resigned themselves to it has to be this way, only this way, that it really, you can still make incremental improvement if you'd like. It might not be comfortable. Like you were saying, oh my God, the stairs hurt. Why are we doing this? Every time you do the stairs, it'll get easier. It'll right. get better. And then you'll look back on yourself, your future self, if they talk to your present self would say, see, we weren't lying to you. We were trying to do the best thing for you. Aren't you happy now? Aren't you happy that you're incrementally better? That's what I always hope for is that people don't think of it as only, oh my God, that was so hard. It's more, but I earned that now I can, if I'm late for the bus, I can run after the bus and catch it instead of there goes with 20 minutes. I just, you know, that I'm incapable. You know what I mean? And, oh, I, so just that, please people, a lot of us, a lot of us are bad acceptance to me is not about appearance. It's about capability. And I don't know, I, 
when we when me and my friends move our goods our houses and stuff like that don't you want to be the ones that i can grab that into the couch and handle it instead of i'm incapable that i'm i feel bad about myself if i can't help if i if i can't pitch in as necessary if there's a bucket brigade and someone's house is burning down and you're huffing and puffing after the first five minutes and the house isn't out yet man up your game (laughs) you have to be for the community and for yourself your own self-worth you have to be okay you have to be capable all right so we went to uh, a writing workshop over the weekend Uh, did you get cool things out of it yeah so talking i need to i'm I get rid of Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, it was a really good, it was a retreat. So there were four of us and it was mostly to focus on just writing. It wasn't workshops. It wasn't talks, but there were four of us. So we hung out at the same places. We'd go to lunch together and talk a little bit. And some really great writer friends of mine that I used to be in a mastermind group with, and four of us got together and Jay Thorne, who I mentioned a minute ago, he kind of ran it and he's a big inspiration because of everything he does, not just with writing, but helping writers and things. So it was a good time. We went to a couple really cool places to get atmosphere. We went to the Museum of Art so we could sit amongst the creative artwork and get inspiration. And, and inspired, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we were very free. It's like, okay, I my brain's mush. I need a break. In a nice area, you're walking around. So yeah, it was a really good weekend. I took the time to outline. So the series I've been working on, The Town Magician with Magic and all that, I'm on book two. I'm just a little over halfway done. It's coming along really well. I'm enjoying the book. I think it's going to be good. But I took this weekend to say, you know what? There's this other series that's just been pounding me and that I just really want to get out. I've got a short story, but that needs expanded. uh, And I'd like to maybe start on that. So I said, I'm going to spend the weekend on that. I wrote a complete outline, went through and made sure it had all the points I wanted, started writing, and I got well over 5,000 words for the weekend, which in a normal day like this morning, I got 600 words. So Fantastic. So yeah. hyper productivity and very satisfying to those things that have been percolating to actually get them out on paper and capture things before they get muddled or before they go yes. away entirely or something. Okay. Yeah. So it was a great weekend. We had a great time. Some good people, a few misadventures. I mean, like a lady backed into me in the parking lot. Luckily, not really any damage or a little scratch, but not a huge deal. Some messed up rooms with the hotel and that. But I was like, eh, if these are my biggest problems for the week, I've had a good week. So some part of gathering the focus to do the retreat, despite those little things that can derail you that's a very good thing to will it to be that's not the most important thing going on this is and i'm going to work on this yeah yeah okay and then you guys trade each other's works back and forth do you read and critique or is it step away from that where you're talking about the doing of it yeah it's kind of a step away from that it was more just doing if someone had problems and we had a question we'd read and help each other and give feedback but it wasn't so much a critique session which arguably i've found those not as helpful as some people think. So it was mainly just writing. We did have a good session, all of us sitting around Jay, who used to be really against all the AI and all the stuff going on with Bitcoin and all that, has totally done a flip-flop. So he's been using ChatGPT as a co-author and writing a whole book with ChatGPT as the co-author. As an experiment, totally Mm -hmm. open, this is what I'm doing. And here's the thing, this is, we've been involved with computers our whole lives. We in the sector, knowing, doing projects, whatever, programming. So I have gotten to the point where I realize now I'm pretty good at writing a good search string for Google to get what I want and get the best ones at the top, how I structure it and all of that. Gotten pretty good at all the little things you can do. I realized that I was approaching chat GPT in a very similar thinking, similar way. Keywords and okay. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But it is not. It can totally be different because it can actually get some inference of what you're saying. And Jay was showing us what he, his prompts have been. And I was almost like blown away. I'm like, those are just way beyond what I would do. He was talking about, he was talking 
to the AI saying, okay, I want you to be my co-author to help write this book. And he said, I'd like the tone to be something that reminds you of Nine Inch Nails. And then he said, do you understand what I mean by tone and who Nine Inch Nails is? Hmm. And Chad GPT said, yes, tone would be this of the story and then you want it like this. So if you're choosing Nine Inch Nails, you want it to be dark and aggressive. And it said, here's the qualities that people like in Nine Inch Nails music. And we can, and I'm like, holy crap. It, wow. it was like sitting with somebody and talking and working it out and totally changed even my viewpoint and thinking on how to use chat GPT for authors, but for work, for anything. Interesting. That's, I have the kinds of things I've done with it. I don't, I don't want to talk about. I've tried because I knew a lot about AI going in. I'm trying to see, does it do like I would have, or is it different? And what, what are its limitations, if you will? And I'm as if I'm the guy that could, really put it through its paces. But that's what matters to me is how do I integrate this with what I already know about AI and the things that I've done? Or is it that I need to toss aside what I had done as old school and that this really is a new school? Very much from my playing with it, working with it, I got the impression, do you know about Mathematica probably, right? Stephen Wolf yeah. Oh, yeah. math program. And he long ago had what he called his inference engine, that it was a very similar thing to what we're seeing now fed it all the world's knowledge and you could ask it in free form pretty much any question and it would give you 80 percent 90 percent of the time a pretty good answer what's the capital of, of iowa des moines and it has to know enough to know that Iowa's a state and etc and and some of the questions you can ask it were beyond just look it up in in a fact-based way it had already had some of these attributes and so as i've been seeing chat gpt and various other forms of this coming out i'm surprised that we haven't seen from wolfram and others them talking about how their stuff did similar things, but 20 years ago, or that it's, here's what it's doing that mine couldn't. And how did they make those breakthroughs? Because they fed it more information. Here's how I tried to avoid systemic bias, which is a lot of what still seems to come out. You can really set things up so that it will give you, like just that, if you said, I want the tone to be that of corporate America, and it starts spitting out like Nazi sounding stuff, what data did it feed it with right. that it really thinks that the business of America is business and that the business of America is like subjugation and white supremacy? How the fuck could we think that's a good thing that the tool would actually work that way? So I, it's interesting that authors using it, that they really get a chance to do that. And if anything, like you guys did with you go to an art museum to get inspired. Art is not writing, if you will, but there's wonderful, interesting cross connections in your brain for how did the painter see the world and how did they portray it? And that does make little bit things right. going on in your brain that you're inspired or you listen to music. I listen to music all the time. When I write, I tend to listen to instrumental music because I don't like to put words in my head, but why is it that listening to Osric tentacles or cool rave type music really gets my creative juices flowing. I'm just typing away and I'm filling the page and it's so easy. And, but then you get to a point, like I often talk about with flow, where you're like, okay, I'm done. You know what I mean? Even if the music is still playing, you can tell where you get to, I think I'm empty now. <laughs> Whatever interaction was going on there, it isn't, now it's going to be not as effective. Everything has its limitations. So I'm, that's a very interesting experiment that he's doing. And already there, funny, people are, I know that there's lots of things that are just broad stroke. Hey, we need to put some controls, some guardrails on AI, because otherwise it's going to take over the world. Like they talked about with nanotechnology, we're all going to turn to gray goo. There's awfulizers. That's always about that. But there really is something to be said for playing with it, understanding what it does and what it doesn't do. And anything else, do course correction. Incrementally, you're finding out, wow, that's an unexpected result. I don't want it. I'm telling you to write a romance story. And it turns out to be that it's more like an S&M thing. What in popular literature is so prevalent, so strong that that's what it thinks romance is? Right. So you have to be not only aware of how the tool works, but you get to look society in the face and say, what are we putting out there that it's so available that that's <laughs> right. really what this tool thinks is sweet, savage love, bodice ripper type romance. Did they always have like pseudo rape scenes? That's not reassuring at all. No. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and, and there's a big 
big controversy in the author communities with people like, oh, I'd never use any of that. And it's okay. First of all, if you've ever done a search, if you've done things on you're already using AI in some fashion. I almost guarantee it. You're filtering but, it through you still. You're not letting it do the work for you if you right. want. Okay. But I, and then they're like, we might as well all stop because people will be able to make a thousand books a month or a, a year with AI. And, blah. and no, it's not that way. There's a lot of work for him to sculpt it and craft it and get the prompts the way he wants. I likened it to, you know, back in the day you had music and it was just, people playing and then they came out with djs with scratch records and stuff and right. it didn't get rid of the guitar players and now they've got the people that play music with the loops and samples and the synthesizer none of that got rid of music it just made a different way to make music and the right. same with painting people used to paint and draw and then you got the computers with the graphic artists so nobody draws an ad for the newspaper anymore now they're using computers and even animation bugs bunny was on cells but now it's pixar uses giant computers well, it's funny as our discussions often like curl back around on themselves the thing that i was saying about bilateral thinking that there's always one or the other that we, we all have to confront that's just not the case what you were just saying about if an artist makes use of the computer to draw something in the style of my own style how is that not just as if you had hired we there's any number of favorite paintings that had the hudson bay school the rembrandt school i'm trying to think of which ones i can name like that they had a whole bunch of apprentices and that they did the main figure work but then everything in the background of and i don't know for sure the blue boy by gainsborough that he did what would guarantee that people identified it as a Gainsborough, but then he left someone else kind of like comic book people. They have all kinds of backgrounders and finishers right. because, because they draw the foreground figures and the actual heroic poses and stuff. So we've already got a system that says it's not only an individual arts work, there's already a collaborative thing going on. And in this case, instead of having a, a lesser artist, a flunky do it, the computer is a skilled enough flunky that you can say, Hey, finish this off and clean it up for me. And whether right. it's, art or music or literature or poetry or whatever else it might be it'll be interesting when we are not it will be it already is interesting when i read it's like some computer generated poetry and it really is either it really is elusive and it knows that it's making things the words are not quite correct but it ca captures an image in your mind or that it's just totally wrong and it's your brain that is still finding those connections that make it Oh, what a beautiful piece of poetry. So right. indirect, so representational instead of straightforward. So I think that we don't have to worry about it in terms of it's not going to take over. But I think that we like just like they've talked about security. There's no way that we'll ever have good security again. That cat's already out of the bag by right. 20 years. And people that keep talking about trying to have perfect security, they're like fooling themselves. And again, to link back, so much of when I developed Gambit, my my genetic algorithm-based trading systems was explaining to them what it was doing and that it wasn't an algorithm that was looking at patterns and looking into the future with those patterns and figuring out that it was a colony of trading creatures that all had their individual survival needs. And that of a raptor is different than that of a, a slow-moving herbivore is different than that of a scavenger and all that kind of stuff. But that the confluence of all of those things says in this environment of a nice fertile prairie, here's what the trading algorithm says is the best thing to do out of all those. But don't only do that because then you're going to have all your wolves eat all your deer and then your colony will die off. Because, you know what I mean? And so that explanation that I had to get good at, that it wasn't my perfect algorithm and me as the programmer doing it, it figured it out from simulated natural selection to get to this cool thing. The whole world is having to confront what I had to try to explain 20, 25 years ago. So it's interesting that I've already got a lot of that in my head, the words for it. And here's why it's not magic. It's not a mystery, but it still isn't straightforward. So you're going to have to get used to the ambiguity of it really is thinking in different ways. It really is finding different patterns than what you might see. It's not just chaos and it's not just straight line. It's a wonderful, interesting combination of, of turbulence, of chaos theory, of things where you can't tell exactly what each atom in a situation is going to do. But in the overall, you can still say, we're going to cohere enough of this light that it's going to become laser directed. And that has power. 
I know I'm mixing between metaphors, but that's how we have to get to it is because we have analogs, metaphors for how we can think of this, and none of them fit perfectly, but we have to bring in three, four, five, six of those in order to get to what's going on. You know what I mean? It isn't a little imp in a box that's smarter than you that's typing away for you. It really, it's, it, I'm fascinated by it as, as, and I'm hoping that we don't get scared of it like we did with stem cells, like we did with, there's a, I don't know, an anti-science element or religious element that is Mm. determined to have man be the yardstick of all things. And it's important that we make use of tools that man has created, even if what they're doing is a little bit scary to us because there's benefit to be found there. The benefit that we can prove of, this is going to figure out how to cure cancer faster than we would experimenting with Petri dishes and an array of a hundred or 10,000 or a million Petri dishes is not as fast and as perfect as if we simulate that in a model and figure it out. A thousand times. Protein folding a thousand times, a million times. Exactly that. The fact that we've already got things that can think as fast as we can synaptically, it's fascinating to me how we learn to harness that as opposed to we immediately get scared of it and say, no, let's not do that. So maybe that's the thing I have to really get into is not only I need to learn about it enough to become an explainer and an advocate, and I already have, but it, the feed mo- field moves so fast that I'm like, wow, uh, 10 minutes ago, this is what was true. <laughs> exactly. Now, with especially with the heavyweights, with Microsoft and Google and Facebook, Oracle, Amazon. whoever is working on all the various different versions of this, OpenAI means the entire world can make use of these kinds of things. And what was one of the things that exploded encryption was not trying to keep it secret, but making it so that we're going to talk about the math of this and we're going to be able to prove that given this math, as long as we don't have quantum computing quite yet, it'll take at least 34 years to break this password. So that's why you want to have 256 or 512K, 512-bit encryption and stuff like that. Right. And we'll see the battle back and forth there that is AI, when AI starts to develop its own next version, that's going to be scary and cool. So <laughs> about your poetry example with the AI doing that, all I'm going to say is Bogon poetry. So we'll leave it at that. Ode to a small piece of yes. green <laughs> Exactly. And the thing you were mentioning, so version two of ChatGPT, they released open source that anyone could download it and the training models and things, yes. but three, three, five, and now four, they haven't yet, but they're in, they're talking about to do that, how to do that, what to do, because people need to understand these training models. I'm interested in it for work because we want to use that for all of our stuff. And I explained to them, here's what we could do. And their eyes kind of lit up. Really? We could do, well, let's do it. And I'm like, it's not quite ready yet. We got to get AWS, Amazon. We could do it with right now and start working on it. But so we'll see how that works when it's released. But these training models, even on two, the one training model is like 750 meg, which for a lot of people, that's a lot. If you have a laptop, me, that's just half of a hard drive down here, but the new ones four, I can't imagine how big four is compared to what two was. Yeah. And I'm sure someone's going to start putting together the chart that says, based on the sheer size of data sets, are what's the incremental improvement that we're getting? And is there a place where it's not worth going above eight gig? Because then you start to get corruption instead of perfection you know what i mean sometimes there were like that was absolutely you could back in my days of gambit you could overtrain a model by giving it too much data that was either conflicting or duplicative and you didn't know going in necessarily which was which so what you became good at was the algorithms are working correctly now what do i feed it and i guess that's like nature if you give things that are high nutrition again circling back to our earlier discussion they will become a more capable creature just by definition of they got better nutrition and that produces better cells etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think that needs to be our episode title nutrition for ai there you go exactly <laughs> and i there's got to be i have so much proof <laughs> that not everybody is a good person, that there really are, it doesn't take many, but you've got the James Bond villain type people that are thinking, how can I use this to take over the world? How can I use this to corner a market? How can I use this to eliminate things I don't like? And so the reason, especially 
the danger of putting it out there where everybody can use it is you're going to have the nuts get access to it as well. But the way you're going to be able to stop the nut from getting ahead is because the nuts don't work for Microsoft. Everyone has these things and there'll be soon a competition, a comparison between all the different AI models and what data sets we're used to trade them and stuff like that. And you'll see that there really are better ways, like what's the overall in my case, for Gambit, it was a survival mechanism, but really it's an optimization that what I wanted to do was say, what I want is not only can I make money in the market, it's can I make money using some of like Nepal's happiness index so that the kinds of things that I'm doing to the world is not only resource exploitation, it's making better use of resources. It's using things like artificial intelligence is seemingly only a matter of electricity and NVIDIA <laughs> chips. You know what I mean? It's not deterioration or using up of resources to get to a known result. And so what are the kinds of things that I could put in place that'll say, what's the right way to run a country, run a government, run run a, a society? And that's where I worry about exploitation is. Well, the first thing you got to do is get rid of this group that I don't like. Really out of all this amazing, majestic power, the first thing you did was hate. You got to have the love things in there too, to be able to compete with them. You know what I mean? That there's got to be a way to say the carrying capacity of the planet is 7 billion people. And we already hit that. Not if you have AI that says, if we just fix transportation algorithms so that things don't get stopped at the border because of wars or conflicts or money-making or religious or whatever else it might be, you really might be able to do amazing things with better crops, better distribution of those crops, better, like they're less eaten by rats and bugs because we managed to do the right amount of genetic engineering without it being, oh no, now we're scared. Now we're not going to have golden rice anymore, even though that saved a billion lives by making sure that people got iodine. Anyway, I'm like, there's got to be, I hope that's the role that humanity takes is that they get to look at some of the results as they roll in and say, yep, do more of that and less of that. I think I've talked about this before, Global Business Network, a very cool kind of behind the scenes group has always done great things with scenario planning. They don't try to make it so that the world goes one direction, but they look at all the possible outcomes and they look at what are the leverage points for do more things that are better for the world, more stable, more betterment for humanity and steer away from the lesser things. And I hope that's what we start to do with AI is that we're like benevolent despots that we want to do the right thing. And now we're getting feedback as to, I just ran a model that says, if we continue to all the rainfall that hits the Himalayas, it is going to go to only China or only India because they're both vying for it. And so it can't be either one of those, right? They both have a billion people. We can't let people die because of that. How are you going to negotiate that treaty? How are you going to get to, and so already AI can be feeding into what sure seemed like such huge world problems that humanity couldn't even step up to start solving it because you knew that there was immediately going to be ego involved or Mm -hmm. greed involved or whatever else it might be. And again, I hop around, but Bill Gates, one of the great things that he did for with his money and his smarts was we're going to cure certain diseases. It was going to, let's cure river blindness. Let's cure malaria. And instead of being, to the conventional wisdom, he really did a Freakonomics approach of let's look at the data and see what works and do more of that and less of the others. And so you're finding out that while you're working on the malaria vaccine, you can also be distributing nets to everybody. Keeping mosquitoes yeah. off of you outside of your living space is the one of the key things you can do and cost effectively just like that. We're going to have better fires. TED Talks are all about this, right? Instead of people burning dung where it's got all kinds of health complications, make it so they can make briquettes out of other things that will produce cleaner fires. And I guess all that thing about curing diseases, like it's important that we get to, it's not only a matter, or this is a terrible thing to say, it's not just quantity of life, it's quality of life. Mm-hmm. That if you have scarce world resources that you're going to apply the vaccine first in the right places, you got to go to the places where their survival chances increase the most, but that their quality of life, if they survive, is also reasonable, that it's not just will be cured river blindness. And then they went down from the 10 other diseases that we haven't cured because it's really off the track in the wrong part of the world for good nutrition and good communication and good distribution. And so you can't just say, oh, they got to die. But if you're trying to maximize the number of lives saved, you have to have some defensible way of putting forth the proposal instead of 
I started at A in the country names and I waved my way towards Z. And I guess, sorry, Zimbabwe, but you're fucked. Yeah. Please don't do that <laughs> as the name folklore. better. Of course, I don't mean that. But <laughs> it sure seems that some of the choices we make are that nebulous, silly, yeah. nebulous, foolish. So how do you make a better choice without it being, that's just because you're Lithuanian and you want to make sure Lithuania gets fed. But, you no, know, we can prove that this really right. is on balance, the right way to do a really tricky, difficult thing. If we want to use the data and the smarts to do it, or if we want to do it, that, nope, I'm the decider. I'm the guy. I'm the God. I'm the one that decides who no, lives. Maybe we should let AI decide because that's all it deals with is facts. <laughs> And I know there are a lot of people pushing back against it. Oh, I'd never use that. But again, you don't have to go to open AI to use it. It's getting in everything. Word already has it and is going to have it even more. The new Facebook Pro goggles, Microsoft teamed up with that. They're integrating it into their teams, which is on the goggles. And it, yeah. it really is everywhere. It's going to be on our phones in so many apps that people won't even realize it. That's, cool. yeah, that's true. Whatever it was used to be, it was just a matter of looking at data. Then it was a matter of crowdsourcing to see like, what's the best restaurant in Cleveland? Am I going to use Yelp or other review sites to do that? Or can they be gamed? Am I going to use this on the basis of the vast preponderance of four-star reviews or whatever else it might be? And I'm looking forward to seeing how we put all those different things together and say, what's the, I'm going to do my talk about drinking from the fire hose. What's the best books and music and everything to listen to. And right now we've got the Hugo and Nebula awards were voted on by comic, not comic by science fiction fandom. And so there it is. And after actually they look back in time now and say, based on influence and based on quality, what we knew then a lot of those Hugo and Nebula were for the time, the right thing, but the book that really outlasted them is kind of like when an Oscar winner that should have won didn't. And now when you see its influence over the course of time, yeah. You're like, let's throw out. It happened one night getting the Oscar and it really should have been. You know yep, what I mean? Yep, yep. It, it, so I'm looking forward to the integration of, there's a cool book called Consilience by Edmund Wilson. Edmund, I think Edmund, not Edward, that talks about how a certain kind of genius or brilliance is bringing together different fields of knowledge in a way that you still understand how they tie together, how there's Venn diagram crossovers, if you will. And I think I have a little bit of that. I have, I'm so widely read and I know a little bit about a lot of different things that oftentimes the way I think of a solution is not because I know a lot about lawnmowers. It's because a lawnmower is kind of like a blender in this way. And so if I was trying to fix a blender, here's what I'd try. I'll try that for my lawnmower. And I'm hoping that's what AI will do is it isn't only one body of knowledge that can impact all kinds of interesting, especially value judgment things. Not everything is solving a problem. Some things are just, what's the best use of my time maybe. Yeah. And I, we do different things, right? We talk to a good friend who has good taste and say, what are you reading? And then you get a good book idea and you listen to bands and you go to the place that has, if you liked this, if you like Def Leppard, then you'll also, and the recommendation engines. And I think there's going to be an amazing cross-pollination between those various different things where it really might be, if you read these kind of books, you probably will like this kind of art. Wait, what? But <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to be really cool when you start to get that kind of cool crossover because the way that people's brains are wired or the way that people like character-based things, I mean, you also like things that have people in instead of landscapes. Vast, off the top of my head, that's what my mind spat out as to why that might be. But that's hopefully AI will say, you had a good guess. You are indeed 76% correct. Like, yes, I am. <laughs> but not perfectly correct because there's variation. You know what yeah. I mean? Anyway. <laughs> All right. Tell us about your comedians. You always have great comedians and you just saw a couple while I was writing, you were but, laughing. Exactly. We went to see Tom Papa at Playhouse Square one night and Bill Maher at the MGM Northfield the other night. I didn't and, even realize Bill Maher was still around, actually. Yeah, he's, he has had his TV show for a long time, and I think that it's still around, maybe in syndication, I'm not sure what channel, but he continues to write books and do occasional stand-up. And the biggest they're both very smart and very witty and good word choice but like tom papa is warm and reassuring to people you're doing great you know what i mean here's little foibles of humanity whereas bill maher is more like here's how things are fucked up you know what i mean yeah. and you need both the blunt truth tellers and the reassurers and the way for instance i felt much better coming out of the tom papa show even though i laughed equal amounts you know what i mean i the world needs to have Bill Maher where when someone like heckles from the audience, he doesn't like say, oh, are you okay, buddy? Tom Papa might be like, 
You know that no one wants to hear you. They're here to hear $100 they paid for this ticket. You know that. So he, it's, I guess it's a way in which you use your humor your or your intelligence and the background that they come from, whether it's West Coast or East Coast or those kinds of things. It was very interesting to get a one-two punch of differing comedy styles because they're both like at the top of their game. They're both really vital and, and have a lot of good material that they cover and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the reasons that we continue to see comedy is because you get so much truth told in an hour yeah. or two. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you're saying about the differences, similarities. Yes, they're both comedy, but they're, they speak to different people. And that's one of the great things we've talked about with comedy is you can find the comedian that makes you laugh, that speaks to you. But folks, if you don't like a comedian, if they're offensive to you in some way or they're just not funny to you, who cares? Move on and find someone different. That doesn't mean you have to <laughs> condemn them, that you have to destroy their life and career and tell everybody else how horrible they are. No, move That's on. Right. I hate this so much. I'm going to have to wreck this show for everybody else here. Or I'm yeah. like that, just that. We went to, bear with me, previous to this, sorry, my mom, Samantha B. We went to her last week. And she is very political and very feminist and in all the right ways. You know what I mean? She really tells the truth a lot. And the truth is not always pretty in these United States. And we saw a couple get up after the first 10 minutes and leave. And it was like, so you didn't know going in what Samantha B was all about? She's maybe had, they won tickets. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Maybe that. But I also remember going to see the South Park movie. I think we may even have talked about this at one point. And like, they got up and left as soon as the Uncle Fucker song broke out. And it's like, you didn't know? You didn't know going in that South Park is like rigorously vulgar it's yes. hilarious in terms of much they push yes. the envelope and yeah and i guess if you can't handle it then you don't want to sit there and be sad angry for right. two hours but you didn't do any research before going in that you didn't know this is what and, you were going to get and to. that's a totally another part of this too i love south park i have been watching south park since before it was a tv show when they had just the jesus versus exactly the little videos they put together as a christmas card exactly and i I love (laughs) south park and then the movie came out and i went saw the movie and you know what i did not find the movie funny i thought the tv show was funnier do you know why let's see too extended of a bit instead of being sharper in its focus maybe maybe okay it was because in the TV show, they had to beep out all the swear words. You knew what they were saying, but oh. to me, that was much more creative and clever sometimes where the beeps would fall in what they're saying than to okay. just let it go. It was almost like, now we can do anything we want, and it didn't come across as And it wasn't way. better. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That is, a, a, sadly, a common complaint. There are a lot of com- comedians that think that the shock value of a swear word is why it exists, not that it's a word like any other. And if you use it like correctly, appropriately, and so forth, that it's not that vulgar. It's perfect for the amount of emotion or impact that you want it to have. But there's others that they just pepper their thing. It's a lazy use of multiple. They, it, I don't like that. I don't like it where they don't have good word choice, that they're just like, wow, you a moment's thought and you would have come up with a better word that isn't going to alienate a certain part of your audience just because they are blue noses and they don't like right. that word. And we're you know? looking at you, Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> like but, that, or maybe Eddie Murphy early on yeah. was very much about that. And I think he's gotten better. Some part of it was I'm an urban comedian and I'm going to speak to my people. And there is a certain amount of like vulgarity that goes with that. I don't like it where, boy, it's that and the repetition that once it's like a little kid when they see what yeah. reaction that they get, then they say it again because they want to see the parents get started. Right. Wow, you're lazy. You're just not putting enough into this. Oh, oh, oh. The other thing that people need to realize is swear words have changed over time. So what is a swear word now may not be 100 years from now. And we've talked about I've talked about I want to do T-shirts with Victorian swear words on it because that's right. Nobody thinks they're swear words anymore. But back then, exactly. And other countries, other cultures have totally (laughs) different swear words. They'll hear an American swear. word, It's okay, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. But to them, you say something else. And oh, you oh, yeah, that's not good. So if I remember right, in Firefly, 
a whole bunch of stuff that they speak in Chinese was meant to sneak it past the senses. Yes. They didn't realize how much of a bastard or whatever they were calling the That's, other person because they did it in Chinese. That's funny you say that because one of the scenes in the one book I was just working on, I put that in there. It's a goblin and they're trying to get information from the goblin. So they get the one guy that said, oh, he speaks goblins. Huh? My uncle only taught me swear words. I don't know anything else. You know, in goblin. <laughs> it's kind of like the joke. So That's funny. Exactly. <laughs> All um, right. Okay. So let's see. What else? I don't know. We're done. Yeah, we're done. Turn us over. We'll talk about crossword puzzles next time. And also, not this week after Memorial Day, but the next week after that is the Worldwide Developers Conference from Apple, where they're, I think, expected to reveal their AR VR goggles. And I am very interested. Oh, that'll be great. I really, and it's not, from what I understand, it's not necessarily goggles, they're like glasses. And so at the Bill Maher show, they made two or even three announcements about. There is absolutely no recording or taping of the show and so forth. And what do you, already, what do you do when everybody has a, a cell phone they can bring out for two seconds, a smartphone, and take a yeah. picture? And what are you going to do when it's the glasses on their head? How are you going to monitor that? It doesn't have a little light that's saying, I'm recording. Pretty soon, they're just going to have to say, We're, we have to accept a certain amount of this. There's no way to stop which, it. Actually, take your glasses off. What? You know. They've found in today's world that actually creates more interest in the product if lots of people have videos or pictures and stuff. That's be, I, before we go, two quick things. So one, we've got this on our website and you and I talked about it long ago, but we really haven't said anything, but we've got an area, we've got some t-shirts, a few of the things we've said, and we put up some t-shirts. Right. You know, our hey, memeing, exactly that. Yeah. So people go <laughs> so check out. get the fun a, kick in and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I got a new picture for that. So I think it's cool. But uh, And then the other thing, do you have any okay. good plans for the weekend? <laughs> I know it's Memorial Day. Actually, we, not big, by that meaning, my brother was supposed to be here a couple of days this week to drop stuff off. And now, boy, in brief, COVID just penetrated Martin Courts where my mom is staying and my mm. mom got it. So she's asymptomatic, but they've, they're monitoring her and she's isolated and that kind of stuff. I need to stop by and drop off like some Pedialyte and a TV and stuff like that so that she's not just alone in her room, if you will. And the reason for saying all that is that all of whatever we had small plans for the weekend and they're all predicated on how is mom doing? You know what I mean? We, the only plans we had for the weekend really were let's go for a nice walk in the forest. Let's go play some mini golf and get some ice cream. We really made a point of not making a big cookout plan or anything like that. And, and now with COVID once again, having entered our lives, I need to test and make sure that I didn't get exposed to it because then I got to isolate. Okay. So reason for saying all that is that we know we don't have big plans. We don't know. Do you have yeah. cool plans coming up? Oh man. So we're, if it's not too cold and this has been a very cold spring, we're thinking of doing Raiders of the Lost Ark on the side of the house. Up on the house. Yeah. See, that would be great. Especially if you do the lead up, all four films to big number. The new one. Yes. Out. We're probably going to rent a theater and invite a lot of my mother's old co-workers for the new one for her birthday, because her birthday's in July. Oh, so my. We're That's thinking a great of doing idea. That for her. That's um, very cool. Okay. I'm going to go set up an author table at Hartville Flea Market and see what happens. And then we're picnic with some family and friends. That's about it. I got the lawn mowed because my stupid tractor finally got fixed. And man, I was like, oh, it's going to take me forever. Good tractor. I still got everything done in less than three hours. So Fantastic. I was like, all right. Which is an indication of how big your property is. Three yes, hours. Exactly. Like, I just my lawn. It took me like 30 minutes and getting everywhere. You know what I mean? I'm much less property than you. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah it'll be a fun weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. That's we always do some kind of cookout. If we're not going to do it on the grill, we'll do it inside if the weather's crappy and stuff like that. I haven't even looked at the weather. That makes such, you know, are we going to play mini golf in the rain? Of course not. We'll have to see what goes on. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, man. Take care, Steve. Good week. Oh, a pleasure. Okay. Bye bye. This has been the Relentless Geekery podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week. <laughs>